0: Well, hey, uh, if you are joining us for the first time today, or if you are part of the multitude who exited San Francisco for the last couple of weeks and you've been on vacation, we've been here at church, you know, so no big deal, but uh, welcome back. And uh, I wanna catch everybody up to speed on a series that we've been in so that we can all operate under a similar framework today as we go into our fourth installment. Uh, We've been talking about this concept of going beyond basic. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're beyond basic, come on. That's good, especially considering the cultural context of the word "basic." Uh, we won't go too far down that road, but. Be grateful that you are beyond that. You are beyond a Frappuccino at Starbucks. It's really, really good. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about the fourth thing in this scripture we've been studying, but uh, the foundation of this sermon and the foundation of this series has been we want to be the type of believers that don't stay stuck in a season of our basic understanding of faith, our basic walk with God, but we want to move on into maturity. Uh, We've said this every week, and I'll say it again. It says in the book of 2 Corinthians that God's design and his desire for each of us is that our our life would be one where we go from faith to faith and from glory to glory that you wouldn't live in yesterday's measure of faith or yesterday's victories, or you wouldn't be the kind of believer with basketball trophies on your shelf from your high school career and you're in your 50s now living in the past, but you'd be the kind of believer that has a fresh revelation today of God's love, that walks in a fresh measure of faith, that believes for more now than you did in the last season of your life. That's God's desire for all of us. And can I get a baby amen? And uh, by the way, while we're talking about faith, let me just mention this as well. If you were not here last week uh, and you did not catch the sermon on our website or through the podcast, my lovely wife preached an amazing sermon about sustaining faith. And uh, if you're walking through a challenging season right now where you feel like uh, your faith is maybe waning or things are a little bit difficult and you're having a hard time trusting God in this season, highly encourage you to get on the website tfh.church or Get onto our app and check out the podcast, because it was amazing, and I love her very much, and she's a beautiful woman. Okay, uh, t- <laughs> those are all important things to say. Uh, so today, uh, turn to your Bible in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to go through this fourth basic that we are encouraged to go beyond, and uh, here's, here's the, the backdrop. Uh, he says, so let us go, or so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, and let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding." Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward. Come on, how many want to move forward in your faith a little bit today? So we've talked about the first three. Today we're going to talk about the laying on of Of hands, And next week we will conclude the series talking about eternal judgment and uh, all of that. So it sounds like a lot of fun, right? Okay, Uh, actually it's gonna be an amazing service and we're gonna talk a little bit about what happens when we enter into eternity and the conversation that takes place between us and God. So you don't wanna miss that, be here next week. Uh, But let's pray as we get into this. And if you're the type of person that likes to take notes, it's kind of a weird sermon title, but it'll make sense at the end. We're gonna title this, Hands Off the Lamb. Hands off the lamb, like, okay, that's weird. It'll be, it'll be fun, I promise. Bow with me and uh, let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your people that have gathered here today. I thank you that my daughter got baptized and we get to celebrate her new life. I don't know what the last eight years of that dead, sinful life has been like, but we thank you for a fresh start now. Uh, but Lord, we pray that over these few moments we have together in your house that you would speak to us specifically. God, I know that the words will all sound the same as they come over a microphone, but I thank you, Holy Spirit, you have the ability to cater to every single heart and every single situation in the room. And I pray that people would get a now word, a rhema word for their life today before we leave this place. Say this all the time, but I believe it wholeheartedly. We did not gather here to sing songs and hear somebody talk to us over a microphone. We gathered because we believe your presence and your word have the power to change us and transform us before we leave. So do just that today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen. All right, moment of truth on a Sunday morning at church. Uh, I don't know if this ever happened to you. It's happened to me far more than I care to admit, but have you ever been driving somewhere and without paying attention, maybe you're daydreaming a little bit or not really you know, paying close attention to where you're headed, uh, but before you know it, you end up pulling up somewhere that you did not intend to go to in the first place, just out of default. Has that ever happened to anybody else? Okay, cool, it's just me and like eight people. The rest of you, this will be a fun story, although the rest of us make fun of ourselves. But that's happened to me a lot. Whether it's like you know, you're know you're so used to taking that exit for work and you take that exit even though it's Saturday and you're not working or you pull down a street that you shouldn't have pulled down because you don't live there anymore. This happens to me far too often, which means I probably daydream way more than I should in a car uh, or text, just kidding. Um, anyway, uh, this happened a couple weeks ago. I was heading to my in-laws house. My mother-in-law just retired, hello mother-in-law, uh, just retired, yeah, we can give her a hand, why not? Congratulations for retiring. <laughs> And we were headed out to their house on a Sunday after church uh, to a retirement party to celebrate. And because it was gonna be later in the evening, uh, we decided to just stay the night at their place in Solano County instead of drive all the way back home to San Francisco. Uh, So the next morning I woke up, and uh, my wife and I have a very strict arrangement in our marriage. Uh, The arrangement is that I wake up before her every single day, and I make coffee, and then I deliver it to her so that she can face the day and not hate everybody she encounters. Uh, And in exchange for me providing coffee for her, she stays married to me, so the arrangement stays, it's great. Um, But what you need to know is that Robin and I are, um, we're a bit bougie when it comes to coffee, okay? (laughs) Uh, If you don't know what the term bougie means, uh, it means high class, hoity-toity, pinky out. Like, coffee to us is a big deal. And so I love my in-laws, but their coffee is not up to par with our standards. And so I had to leave their house in order to secure a cup of coffee that would be acceptable for my bride. So I got into the car, and I head over to the only place in town that serves halfway decent coffee to get a pour-over Ethiopian. Come on, Jesus. And... uh, I put it back in the car, and as I'm driving back to my in-laws house, I kinda start daydreaming about life and church, and I think I was going golfing that day or something, and I'm not really paying attention to where I'm going. Uh, Now, for context, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, my wife and I grew up around the corner from each other. Oh, we walked to school together. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, And then after we got married and we tested out a few other areas of town, we decided that we felt most comfortable basically back in our exact same neighborhood where we grew up. So we bought a home that was right by our parents and uh, it was about less than a mile away because it gets 115 degrees in Vacaville and both of them have pools and we didn't have to buy one. We could go to their house for free. I'm kidding, it's because we love you and free babysitting. So I'm driving and I pass the place where I'm supposed to turn right to go to my in-laws house and I just keep going. I blow through the intersection, not really paying attention. And then I turn left and I head down the street that leads to the home we used to live in a couple years ago. And I'm driving and you know, I'm looking around at the park to see if there's anybody I know there, completely oblivious to what's happening. All of a sudden I turn left into our court, our old court, and I'm like waving at neighbors and you know, like, hey, how's it going? And they're all looking at me kind of weird and I, I have not processed the fact that like, they haven't seen me in a couple of years. And literally I start to pull into the driveway of our old home and our tenants are like there and there's cars and I'm like, that's weird. Why are there cars in the, and all of a sudden it hit me and I'm like, oh, I don't live here anymore. <laughs> This is no longer my home. I had been so conditioned for years heading that direction, driving down that street, turning into the court, pulling into that driveway that without thinking, I ended up doing something that was completely unnecessary. Why? Because I did not live there any longer. Now, in a sense, in a a way, that is sort of what the author of Hebrews chapter six is is admonishing this group of believers about. He's saying, hey, you've kind of moved on to a new chapter in life. You're not supposed to be going this direction any longer. You're not supposed to be enjoying these practices any longer. You've moved into this new era of your faith, but you're still doing some of the stuff that you used to do. You're still pulling into the driveway of your old habits a little bit. Let me explain. Uh, This particular scripture in Hebrews chapter six was one that I was really excited about preaching today because uh, as we talk about the subject of laying on of hands, I had a, a pretty good handle of what I thought we were gonna be talking about today. Like as you study through the New Testament and you look at the instances where people lay hands on folks, generally it's one of two categories. Either we're praying for supernatural healing or people are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. And I was really excited to preach about one of those two subjects. And uh, if some of you are not excited about hearing about those subjects because they rub you the wrong way or they're polarizing, fear not, we're gonna discuss them in our next series. But as it comes, uh, as it turns out, as I studied this scripture, I was completely off with my understanding about what the author meant as he admonished a group of believers about laying on of hands. He was not addressing the baptism in the Holy Spirit, nor was he addressing uh, supernatural healing. He was talking about a 1,400-year-old practice that the Jewish people had become very accustomed to and were still participating in. Uh, Let me me dive a little deeper. When when you study the Bible for the sake of preaching, it is vitally important that you understand what the uh, smart people call cultural context, Uh, meaning that I need to understand what culture the author is addressing here in this scripture, because if I don't have a handle on who he's talking to, I will misapply or misappropriate what he's saying to my current cultural context. I'll all of a sudden arrogantly believe, oh, he's writing to me in 2019, and you know, I'm just gonna apply that to my current context. Well, in fact, he wasn't writing to us in 2019, this was a few thousand years ago, and he's addressing a very unique culture who has some unique practices. Who? He's addressing the Hebrews, hence the title of the book. And the Hebrews, or the Jewish people, had some traditions and some practices within their religion that should have been extinguished the moment that Jesus gave his life on a cross. And if you were to walk up to the average Hebrew person or Jewish person in this particular context, and you were to say, hey, tell me a little bit about laying on of hands— They would not refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nor would they refer to supernatural healing. Immediately, here's where their minds would go. It would go to the old covenant mosaic practice of sacrificial atonement. That's a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) That's probably not a phrase you use very often in your water cooler conversations at work. Like, hey, did you you make atonement last night? Yeah, put it over some noodles and some... Atonement, you know, I don't know. So let me, let me, sorry, that was dumb. I apologize. These are the things that go through my head. Let me offer you a definition for atonement because, uh, again, it's not, it's not a word we use all that often. Atonement means reparation for wrongdoing. In other words, I've done something wrong and I need to make it right between me and God. If you were a Jewish person that grew up before Jesus, you would understand that every time you sinned, every time you did something you weren't supposed to do, the relationship between you and God was broken and you needed to make things right between you and him. Uh, I love the, the writers of the Bible Project, they call it relational vandalism. I have vandalized the relationship between God and I, and in order for me to fix it, I have to do something of my own accord to make things right. Now in their day, the way you would make things right or you would atone for your sin was to offer a blood sacrifice of an animal, uh, sacrificial atonement. You would murder an animal, and that animal's death would pay the price for your sin. Uh, And here's how it would work. Um, In fact, let me not explain it. Uh, Let me me show you. Michelle, where are you at? Can I borrow you real quick, please? Come here. Can we give it up for Michelle one more time? Awesome, yes. The bride-to-be who said yes to the dress. Uh, come on up here real quick. Um, I'm choosing Michelle for this because she is one of the holiest among us, and everything I'm about to say about her is something—it would, it would never be true, okay? So I don't have any, like, personal examples here. No, come on, come on, come on. Fine. Okay, so let's pretend that Michelle uh, just committed some egregious sin. You know, she, uh, she lied to her boss and told him that she was sick when, in fact, she wasn't sick so that she could go to Santa Cruz. Uh, or she, you know, someone cut her off on the freeway and she started cussing them out and flipping them off. Uh, Things she would never do, which both, by the way, are sins in case we're wondering in the room today, all right? Just throwing that out there for consideration, okay. So she sins and in so doing, she recognizes, gosh, things between God and I are, are not good and I need to fix this relationship. Well, if she grew up in the time before Jesus, the only way to fix that was for her to sacrifice an animal. And so she would get a lamb. Please, uh, let's bring out the lamb real quick. Thank you. Wait, hold on, stop, 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 stop. I have never seen a lamb walk on two feet. Thank you, okay. (laughs) Come, Come on over here, come on over here. Thank you. By the way, this is Drew, her fiance. Okay, good. Now, Michelle would bring this lamb to the high priest, which is me in this particular scenario. And she would say, hey, I've sinned against God and I have brought you my sacrifice. So uh, lamb, could you please make your way to the center of the stage so that you can become a sacrifice? And um, as a result of her bringing me this lamb, I would then sacrifice this animal. (laughs) so tempting. Uh, No, it's not. That's twisted. I'm sorry. (laughs) And in sacrificing this animal, I would make things right between her and God. But there was one particular step that was necessary before I sacrificed this sheep. Want to guess what it is? It was the laying on of hands. And as the priest, here's what I would do. I would lay my hands on this poor, helpless sheep And I would transfer symbolically all of Michelle's sin, all of her wrongdoing, everything that she did to create a rift between her and God, I would transfer by the laying on of my hands, her sin to this lamb. And then once this demonized lamb now had all of her sin, I could sacrifice it, (laughs) which is exactly what a demonized lamb does. Uh, I could sacrifice it and I would make things right between her and God. I won't sacrifice you here. Come on, can we give it up for these two guys? Thank you. You can keep that. Use it on your wedding night, whatever you want. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a bad boy. Okay. never mind. <laughs> so. Get saved, get saved. All right. Focus. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I promise I'm a mature man of God, all right. Now, that's what they did under the old covenant. By the way, if you're like, that was unnecessary, you could have just told us, you wouldn't have remembered it nearly as well. Now you're never gonna forget, all right? So that is what they did under the old covenant. They would sacrifice an animal to make atonement for sin. But that practice had no place in the New Testament church. In the New Testament church, once Jesus had given his life as a substitutionary atonement, as a a way of saying, you don't have to practice this any longer, they were supposed to abolish that practice and no longer bring their sheep to church with them. This was the way things were supposed to be. A new covenant was established, and that new covenant was not based on laying your hands on a lamb. It was based by faith, Through grace, we believe in what Jesus did on the cross and that's it, Jesus plus nothing. It's all taken care of. But here was the problem. Many of the Jewish believers and many of the Hebrews, they would continue to practice these sacrifices on the Day of Atonement or on, on days where sacrifice was offered up on behalf of the priests. They would bring their sheep to the house of God and they continued to place their faith, watch this, in their own efforts, in their own ability to make atonement for their sins. They added an element to the cross that was unnecessary. And so the writer of Hebrews comes and he says, guys, this is not what we're supposed to be doing anymore. This is basic This is the basic tenet of your faith, that Jesus, he fulfilled the law, and you don't have to go through this any longer. You you don't need to bring your sheep and continue to put your trust in the fact that some holy guy is going to lay hands on this thing and transfer your sin. Jesus took care of all of that for you, so get your hands off the lamb. Stop trusting the old system. It's broken, and it was pointing to a greater system. We don't need to do this any longer. Now, I know that that might seem a little far-fetched contextually because you're like, okay, are you sure that's what he meant by laying on of hands? But here's why I know this is what the author intended. For the next four chapters in the book of Hebrews, he literally camps on this same thought. He begins to explain in excruciating detail how the law has been fulfilled and how we don't need to practice these Old Testament things any longer. For four chapters, he says, guys, don't you see that Jesus fulfilled this once and for all? And he established a new covenant so that you don't have to think like that. You don't have to work of your own accord and of your own volition to make things right between you and God. It's already been taken care of. And and just to give you a soundbite, here's what he says in, in Hebrews chapter 10 as he kind of finishes up this rant. He says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow and a dim preview of the things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again and again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or any other offering for sin. No, you were pleased with them, or no, were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one in effect. That's worth a decent amen. There is a new covenant that has been established for us. We don't have to live in this Old Testament mindset any longer of trying to make things right between us and God. It has been fulfilled. This is why the apostle John, when he saw Jesus coming, excuse me, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus became the substitutionary lamb that all of our sin would be passed along to so that we would not have to deal with it on our own any longer. It says in Isaiah, though he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he did not say a word and it pleased the father to crush his own son. Why? Because he became an offering once for all time for us. We don't have to continue to live in that old broken mindset. Now, Some of you, even as I say this, are thinking, okay, I get it. Thank you for that history lesson and for reminding us of this dispensation of grace that we live under now. Um, But what does that have to do with me? Because of all the basics that we've discussed over the last couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure I have this one figured out. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I brought a lamb to church to sacrifice it. It's been years since I've done that. I think all of us understand that we don't have to lay hands on a sheep to be made right with God. So, so what are you saying? How does this apply to me? Yeah, it's probably true that we aren't still sacrificing animals to make ourselves right with God. But I would suggest to you that there are still many of us in the room even those, yeah, who have followed Jesus for quite some time, that operate under a broken, old covenant mindset when it comes to making things right between us and God. People who still feel like it is their responsibility to fix themselves so that they can be accepted by God. What what does he say? Come back again to Hebrews 10. He said, if they, the sacrifices, could have provided perfect cleansing, They would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and watch this, their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Leave that on the screen for me, Taylor. The fruit of living in a broken old covenant mindset is that you continue to have lingering feelings of guilt and a constant reminder of your sin. Lingering guilt that you can't shake, and a keen memory of the things that you've done wrong. So let me ask you this morning, has your faith in Jesus completely eradicated guilt from your life? Are you living under the promise of Psalm 103 that He has taken care of your guilt once and for all, that it's been tossed aside and it's his to deal with and not yours, or do you continue to carry, even as a believer, what you might consider to be reasonable, measured doses of guilt based on your past performance? Do you make statements, maybe not out loud, but even in your own mind, I deserve to feel this way because of what I've done? Do, Do you have a keen memory of your sins, He said the old covenant reminded them of their sins over and over and over again. Do you have a memory of your sins or have you experienced, like it says in Isaiah, God taking your sins and throwing them into the sea of iniquity, never to be unearthed again? Do you have a short recollection of the things you've done wrong because you understand that Jesus has already paid the price for it? Or are you the type of person that continues to think about something from weeks ago or months ago or years ago, and allow that to govern how close you're gonna to get to God. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that he keeps no record of our wrongs. But how is your record of your wrongs? Are you keeping track of things that God has already chosen to forget? Or let me ask it like this. Has your sin ever put you in a place where you feel the need to stay at a distance from God, where you don't come to church and you don't pray for a season because you're afraid of what he might say or how he might respond, all the while you continue to work on yourself, try to fix yourself, try harder to do better so that at some point you can arrive at this place where you feel like you are now presentable to God and you are worthy to follow him again. I loved Ati's testimony this morning because she said, I was waiting for a moment where I felt like I was presentable enough to God, but that moment never came. If you are holding out for a moment where you think you can fix yourself and clean yourself up good enough to be presentable to God, you might have some wool under your fingers because you're still operating under a broken Old Testament mindset that says you can fix yourself to make things right with God. No, that is not the gospel. That is not why Jesus came, so that we could continue to carry things that he has already taken care of. Get your hands off the lamb. Get out of your own head. Stop overthinking it and simply rest in the beauty of the gospel. Allow me 30 seconds to just preach once again the basic gospel that we should all understand and that we should all be growing in. You are incapable of taking care of your guilt. You are incapable of addressing shame. You cannot deal with the mistakes that you've made and keep track of your wrongs. Only Jesus can pay the price once and for all to establish grace and forgiveness and a new life on your behalf. Though your sins were like scarlet, he has made you white as snow. And if you've ever seen a shirt that was stained, every time you look at that thing in the mirror, what is it? It's a reminder of the moment where you put spaghetti on your shirt. But he says, "I will remove the stain of your guilt. I will remove the stain of your sin, and I will make it as if it was a brand new shirt right then and there." 8:1 Romans 8:1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why would you condemn yourself? if Jesus has already wiped condemnation off the plate. So often I think we operate in a broken mentality because the good news feels like it's too good to be true, but it is not, it is in fact the truth. When Jesus laid his life down on a cross and he declared, it is finished. Yes, he was speaking about your guilt. He was speaking about your sin. He was speaking about your shame and he was hoping that his words would echo into the chambers of a room even in 2019 to say, you don't have to deal with that any longer because I was the lamb of God that took it all away on your behalf. And if you simply trust in me, it's finished. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the foundation of our faith. And let us not be the kind of believers that continue to lay this foundation over and over and over again while we waste years trying to get beyond the basic of grace. If you haven't realized it by now, your guilt and your memory will paralyze you as a believer and keep you from moving forward in the things of God. Let Jesus even today wash and cleanse and get rid of that garbage so that you can move on into a fresh chapter with him. Yes, even in 2019 on a Sunday morning in a Masonic building, he's that good. He's that good. All right, I'm out of time. (laughs) Here's how I want to land today. Band, why don't you guys come? Um, We're going to do something a little different at the conclusion of the service this morning. And uh, uh, normally we do this during the middle of worship, but all of you should have received when you walked in today um, a communion emblem. And if you did not, if you want to lift your hand right now, uh, some of our ushers will get around and, wow, lots of us. Okay. Uh, We will get those into everybody's hand. Just keep your hand raised until they make their way over to you. But while your hands are raised and while you're waiting for those, just uh, tune in briefly to the stage here. Um, here's why I want to end by taking communion this morning. Uh, this is a practice that we, uh, we, we do every single uh, month here at the Father's house. We believe in the power of what takes place as we remember Jesus. But um, often when we take communion as a church, and rightfully so, we camp on the part of the broken body of Jesus and how his broken body has made a way for our bodies to be healed. Um, How many grateful today that Jesus isn't the God that just healed in the New Testament and a couple thousand years ago, but Jesus still heals people today, that he still takes care of cancer, that he still heals broken bones, that he still reverses generational curses. Come on, God is still the same today as he was yesterday. And and we do camp on that and we will pray for people at the end of the service this morning. If you are sick in your body, when we conclude, we will have a prayer team up here and we would love to pray for you and believe for a moment in the presence of God where supernaturally your sickness is healed. But I think that there is a greater miracle that we acknowledge when we come around the table of the Lord, when we take communion together. And that is what we're talking about this morning, the establishment of a new covenant, the fact that we don't have to clean ourselves up anymore, but that the blood of Jesus paid the price once and for all for our sin. Um, If you look uh, at the scripture in Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, verse 23, these are the words of Paul. He says, on the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So there was supposed to be an opportunity for us to regularly gather around this and say, Jesus, I thank you that I don't have to try harder to do better to get you to accept me, but you take me just as I am. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.